This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anak, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Beautifully aquascaped planted aquariums or outdoor ponds easily rival even the most complex of reef aquariums. In fact, a school of fish swimming through an underwater forest in a small home tank or spectacular water lilies in a koi pond can brighten up any space. But where do many of these plants come from? My guest today is Brandon McLean, Vice President of Florida Aquatic Nurseries, one of the largest producers of aquatic plants in the United States. Join us as Brandon explains the ins and outs of this fascinating aspect of the hobby. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Brandon McLean, Vice President of Florida Aquatic Nurseries based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Florida Aquatic Nurseries is one of the largest producers of aquarium plants and pond plants in the United States. Hey, Brandon, thanks for joining us. Hi, Roy. Thanks for inviting me on the show. I appreciate it. You guys have so much history, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that as well as just the incredible number of, of plants, uh, both for the aquarium and or the pond uh, hobby. I'm, I've always been really impressed with everything you guys have done. But before we get into that, you know, I always like to ask some kind of, kind of personal questions. Uh, nothing too personal, though. But So did you have any planted aquariums when you were a kid? You know, I sure did. Uh, as, as a young kid, I remember my father did most of the maintenance for the aquarium. But we had a 50-gallon aquarium in the living room, and for kids, it's great, and I see that now with my kids, but you could spend uh, plenty of time. It's a good babysitter, and we had uh, plenty of sword plants and cardinals and angelfish, and as we got older, we did some of the maintenance on it ourselves. So what were your favorite childhood memories related to the business? Uh, My favorite childhood memories were probably spent mostly in the drainage areas of of the tanks, chasing the turtles and uh, other fish and snails that lived in the ditches and catching some snakes around the nursery. Uh, Those are my best and most fond memories of childhood. We're going to talk a little bit more again about how you guys all started, but how old were you when you specifically first decided you wanted to kind of work with your your dad and your uncle? Gosh, I think uh, I, you know, I kind of flirted on and off with it. And as a child, I did some work out here in the summer months but really made the decision when I was in college. And uh, at that point, I 
change my major to be more appropriate into landscape and nursery management and uh, at that time went forward from there and continued on a path that led me back to the family business. So um, I guess maybe starting with uh, college, can you give us a little bit more on your background and um, what you did to prepare for becoming vice president at the company? Sure. Uh, well, I went to University of Florida, go Gators, and uh, <laughs> met my wife up there. But while I was up there, I decided to man- major in landscape and nursery management, which was a good choice. And I minored in ag business, which gave me the business knowledge to go with the company and, and learning how to be a vice president. After I graduated from college, I moved up to Atlanta and worked for a retail nursery chain up there called Pike Family Nurseries. And I managed one of their retail uh, nurseries in the city, which really gave me a lot of experience in management. Also gave me a good experience in seeing what the end user likes and buys and why they purchase certain items, which I never saw as a kid growing up in the wholesale grower part of the business. So when you were doing you know, the, the major switch and all that, had you intended to come back eventually or were you thinking of, of doing more kind of terrestrial plants? No, at that point, I think my long-term goal was to get back into the company. That's why I made the switch and I was hoping that the opening would be there and I'd, I'd, you know, my father would want me to come back in, but uh, nothing was finite at that point, but that was my, my long-term hopes. Gotcha. So yeah, you mentioned you're a Florida Gator. Now I know you guys have a lot of Florida State Seminoles in the family too. Is that a cause for uh, continuous tension? Or are you guys able to get along? You know, luckily, as I remember things in the past years since I've graduated, we've come up on the top end more than we've been on the bottom end in uh, football season. <laughs> and I do remember them telling me that uh, at certain points that Florida was only a basketball school, but I think we fixed that now and uh, seem to be a good football and basketball school. <laughs> That's good. So let's talk a little bit now about the history of your uh, of your company. Florida Aquatic Nurseries was started by your grandfather, Bill McLean. And from what I um, kind of researched, he, he was actually a fisheries guy. And uh, I guess this was back in 57. And he had spoken to some of the other folks, especially Albert Greenberg, one of the kind of big names back then. Now, I know you weren't there, but can you give us maybe some of the family lore on this? How did a a fish guy end up working with, you know, and becoming the founder of a really huge aquatic plant business? Well, you'd have to go back many years, and and I've actually uh, gotten some research done on this topic before, and my father's a great source of information for this. But uh, my grandfather, being a fisheries guy, got to know a lot of the fish farmers in the state of Florida and realized at that point that all of the plants that they were selling were from wild-collected sources. Well, the wild-collected sources had a few issues, one of them being consistent quality and another being the seasonality of plants. Plants weren't always available because of high water, low water, cold temperatures, different issues. So he saw a niche there that if he started growing farm plants and have them available on on a regular basis and have good quality, that he could build a business. Now, when he started the business, it was quite a bit smaller than what it what it is at this point. And I think, if I remember right, when my father got into the business, he said there were only five employees. Now we've got over 35 employees, and uh, so things have changed in the years, and we've done much better. Now, most of our listeners probably have no idea about the size of your operation and the volume of production and sales um, you guys do annually. Um, and you know, I, I actually did have the pleasure of visiting your dad years and years ago. Uh, I think you were probably born already, but you probably were just a little kid, maybe not that long ago. But, uh, but really, um, you know, I need to come by and visit it more recently maybe. But can you go ahead and describe your facility for us just in general so folks get a, a sense of the scope and the variety? Sure. 
Right now we've got two separate locations with a total of 15 acres in production. We've got about five acres under greenhouse space and we grow plants in many different methods. Most of the plants grown under the greenhouses are in hydroponic production and this allows us to grow an immersed plant that ships better and is stronger and gets to the market in better condition. Uh, we also have plants that we grow submersed and the submersed varieties that we choose either look a lot better being submersed, like if you take a plant like Hygrophila deformis, sold under the trade name of Wisteria, if you grow it immersed, the leaves are small, green, and round. If you grow it underwater, the leaves become quite pinnate and very frilly in a bright lime green color. So they're, they're quite striking. And there's certain varieties of plants that are much better grown submersed. So the other land is all, the other 10 acres are put into outdoor production. One of the most common things that we have for the outdoor production tanks is an 8 by 14 concrete vat. The water level in there is between two and three feet deep. We use uh, sand for a substrate. The plants are rooted into the sand and harvest out of the tank on a regular basis. So if you can imagine, you've got five acres under greenhouse space and you've got the other 10 acres in these outdoor vats, that's the makeup of what our nursery looks like. So I had a question, and, and you mentioned the immersed plants, you know, being having different shapes and that sort of thing. When you take those and, and you know, they're put into an aquarium, and I really have never actually observed it. Um, I guess do they kind of switch their form with the new shoots? Is that how that works? They sure do. Yep. Uh, if you take some of the sword plants that we grow, for instance, if you were to take a uh, ocelot sword that we grow immersed you're going to see some speckling on the leaves, uh, some darker speckles, and maybe the new leaves will be a little bit more red in the immersed form, but then fade to green. When you put that plant underwater in good light and good condition, the new leaves come up and stay a red color with some maroon speckling in them. So they get quite a bit prettier. And then other ones like the wisteria change form completely and, and get, in my opinion, much prettier underwater. Okay. So how would you say business has been? I, I know there's been kind of ups and downs with you know, a, a lot of the economy, obviously, because of um, all the things that have been going on in the world. How have you guys been, been faring? Gosh, I'm trying to, uh, you know, the past five or six years, I've been in this business about six or seven years now, and I think this is the first year that I've seen sales actually go up a little bit over the previous year. Uh, so business has been tough, but it's been a good learning experience. And uh, that being said, you know, we're we're still doing very well, and, and uh, I feel good at where we're at. And I think from here forward, hopefully we'll be in a slow growth pattern. And I'm optimistic about the future, but also safe in how we plan. No, that's good. So I have to ask, what is it like uh, working for and with your dad? And uh, you know, how do you guys keep the peace? I'm sure there's got to be some disagreements. You know, it's actually been a great experience. I'd have to say that my father is probably one of the nicest and easiest people to get along with and uh, we have a great relationship we work together really well and even if we don't agree fully on on something we sit down and write it out and write the pros and cons and come to it in a good agreement I can't recall ever being upset at him for for any of the decisions and you'd have to ask him what he thinks of me but uh, <laughs> hopefully everybody thinks of each other mutually and and I've had a great experience he's been a great mentor and a great person to learn from 
really been beneficial for me and, and my growth in the business. That sounds about right. Your dad is, has always been a great, great person uh, as far as I've known him. So that's really good to hear. So let's talk a little bit more about the plants now. And uh, we'll start with aquarium plants. How many varieties or species do you guys produce and what would be your top five sellers? Sure. Right now we've got somewhere right around 160 different varieties that we have in production. It's quite a lot to keep track of, but having all these varieties sets us aside from many of the other nurseries that are out there and helps us to introduce new varieties to the to the industry on a regular basis. Our top five sellers that we have are Amazon Sword, which is Echinodorus uh, blairi, Mossballs, which is a Cladophora round green mossball. Uh, these have become very popular in a lot of the nanotank setups. People use them very often in their shrimp tanks. Anacris has been, you know, an all-time favorite. That's a Gary Adensa. It's mostly wild collected, although we have started growing some on our own as the, the wild collected material gets harder and harder to come by. But this is a dark green stem plant that people put in the backgrounds of tanks. Very easy plant to grow. It's also very popular to use in ponds as an oxygenating plant. Wisteria, which is Hygrophila deformis. I uh, mentioned this earlier, but it's, it's a stem plant that you'd put in the background sections of your aquarium. It's got a very nice, frilly-looking lime green leaf and uh, quite ornate underwater. And then corkscrew balisteria would round out the top five, and that's got a nice spiraling leaf. Uh, and it's a, it's a smaller-growing variety of balisteria. It doesn't get quite as tall as some of the other varieties, so it's easier to keep in an aquarium. Or in a small to mid-sized aquarium, it fits much better. But it's nice, got a nice dark green leaf and with a little bit of a spiral twist to it. Okay, well, it sounds like a pretty interesting variety. And, you know, the mothballs, I don't know if I've actually, I'll have to check your website. So are they like kind of small little balls or how, how do they? They come in different sizes. They're wild collected out of the Europe and some of the deep cold water lakes. So you can, you can purchase them in different sizes ranging from a three centimeter diameter on up to a 10 or 12 centimeter diameter. So the most common size is going to be around a three to four centimeter diameter with the larger sizes costing more in price as they go up. Okay. You know, I've always been partial to cryptocurrine species because they always seem really hardy, at least when I've, you know, had had my hand at uh, aquatic plant tanks. Which aquarium plant species would you consider the easiest for a beginner? And what are some tips maybe for uh, these guys to try to help them help their plants make it a little better? Okay. Amazon swords are very easy to take care of. Uh, it's got a mid-green colored leaf. Gets fairly tall, 12, 12 inches or more in your tank. But very easy. Takes a varying light condition. So this is a great tank for or a great plant for a beginner to use as a centerpiece or a background plant. Anubius varieties are also very well. They've got many different Anubius species out there on the market, but one of my favorite is Anubius barteri broadleaf variety. And this gets a very large round leaf on it, uh, but the plant itself doesn't really grow tall. You just get these big round heart-shaped leaves. They're darker green color, and uh, this is a great low, medium light plant tolerates a wide variety of conditions for the aquarium is a good choice. Water Sprite is a very popular plant. It's got a very kind of ornate leaf structure to it. It's a fern, great for a background plant, takes a variety of different conditions. For stem plants, Ludwigia is one of my favorites. You can use it. It has a nice kind of reddish new leaf. Use it in the background. And when 
when it gets tall into the surface, trim it back, and you can actually replant that and grow more and more stems. And what you trim will grow new sprouts also. And as you said, the cryptocrine varieties are great, especially the wentai varieties of cryptocrine, which there's some red-colored leaves, there's some green-colored leaves in those wentai varieties, and they're very hardy aquarium plants, and they're pretty easy to grow. That's a great list. Can you describe and then explain, um, you know, when I was going through your, your site, you had mention of the Hygrophila polysperma, the tropic sunset, and um, some great things about it, but then also maybe some things that were made it a little more complicated. Well, it's a, it's a great plant, but unfortunately in the U.S., we're not able to grow it anymore. It's a federally prohibited plant. Back in the, I guess, 70s and 80s, this was one of our most popular selling aquarium plants at a point. This was a specific variety of Hygrophila polysperma that we found on the nursery and actually were able to obtain a patent for it because it was a brand new plant. So we own the patent on this plant since we developed it. But it was very striking and it's just bright red veins that it had throughout the leaves on the plant and made a beautiful aquarium plant. Very easy to grow, very nice, very fast to grow. Anybody could be successful with this plant. Plus it was so striking in the color that it was a great option. Unfortunately, when Hygrophila polysperma got listed on the federal noxious weed list, since this was a variety of Hygrophila polysperma, it's also included on that. So it's illegal to have in the United States. Well, that's too bad. Well, I definitely have a lot more questions I want to ask, but let's take a short break. So we'll be back and continue our conversation on aquarium and pond plants with my guest, Brandon McLean of Florida Aquatic Nurseries, after these messages. designerpetsweaters.com hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat beautiful couture patterns for your pets including custom knitted formal wear casual wear yachting and even sports themed many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats top hats and a lot of sparkle each sweater includes leg loops front paw sleeves and leash opening visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready large or small we fit them all designerpetsweaters.com let's talk pets let's talk pets on pet life radio pet life radio pet life radio pet <laughs> We're back and continuing our conversation on aquarium and pond plants with my guest, Brandon McLean of Florida Aquatic Nurseries in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Brandon, I had one more quick question on the aquarium plant side before we start talking about water lilies. Now, do you actively seek out new species in the wilds of you know Southeast Asia and South America? This is something that I would really like to start being able to do. It's just a tough time in my life right now. Uh, I've got a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, so my traveling's really cut down. I have made it over to Thailand before, and uh, I hope to get to go down to South America in the future and maybe to Africa as conditions permit. But there should be some neat varieties of plants in Africa that would be able to come out of there, especially in the tropical regions of Africa. I would love to go back and spend some time in Malaysia. Unfortunately, when I was in Thailand in the past, it was during the high water months, so it was tough to see a lot of aquarium plants at that point as they were flooded under deep water. And uh, my wife, being from South America, would be a great guide in the future to spend some time down there and a good translator to have with me. But 
those are definite goals that I have to spend some time exploring and seeing at least the plants that we're selling in their native habitats. That sounds great. And of course, you know, the kids can always be uh, kind of the, the carriers. They can trek things around for you. So, you know, down the road, you're going to have some people helping you out there. That'd be nice. Free labor is great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, pond plants, especially water lilies now. When did Florida Aquatic Nursery start producing water lilies? Florida Aquatic Nurseries got into the water lilies in the uh, in the 80s. We started getting into the water garden market in the 80s as uh, the water garden market was expanding rapidly at that point. It became very popular for people to put their own backyard ponds in and it just really took off quickly so we jumped into it and started selling water lilies and, and marginal plants at that point. How many varieties of water lilies do you currently produce? Water lilies were, were right around 160, almost equally split between hardy and tropicals. So we'd roughly grow 80 hardy varieties and, and roughly 80 tropical varieties. Can you explain the difference between a tropical and a hardy? Yeah, the main, the main classification between a hardy and a tropical water lily is whether or not they're winter hardy in the northern regions of the United States. That being said, there's also some differences in the rhizomes that they form. Typical hardy water lily will form a horizontal tuber under the ground and start spreading. And as that tuber grows longer, it sends side shoots off to reproduce. A tropical water lily forms a small kind of bulb-shaped tuber underneath it uh, for, for its dormancy periods that it sometimes has and grows more fleshy-type leaves and typically has more flowers. But what we're finding out now is within the past couple of years, we found that it's possible to cross tropical water lilies into hardy water lilies. And so we're getting a new hybrid out there that is growing like a hardy water lily. It should be winter hardy with some of the colors of tropical water lilies, which is really changing the uh, water lily format. Wow, that is that sounds like a great opportunity, definitely. Your company wins international awards every year for you know, the beautiful varieties that you guys come out with. Can you describe a few of these water lily varieties and maybe tell us a little more about the awards and, and what they mean to you and the company? Sure. We've been very fortunate. It's the past five years running, we've won the best new tropical water lily as awarded by the International Water Lily and Water Garden Society. And out of those three of the five years, we've won the best new water lily overall in the same contest. In past history, this contest has been going on for over 20 years. We've also some, won some awards in previous years, but we've been really fortunate in the past five years and have been on a pretty good streak of, of winning award-winning plants. But I'll just go through the past five since that's the most recent history, and I'll start with the oldest ones first. So Nymphia ultraviolet was a purple-flowering water lily with upwards of 70 petals. It's a tropical plant, tropical water lily with maroon red pads. So if you can imagine maroon red pads spread around a rosette with a beautiful purple flower in the center of it uh, with upwards of 70 petals, it's quite a striking plant. The next year, we came out with Nymphia tanzanite, which at that point it, uh, was the deepest purple water lily on the market. The purple color was not there in the tropical water lily arena before or the hardy water lily for that matter. And it has a nice mottled pad with green and purple streaks through it uh, with a deep, deep purple flower in the center with upwards of 50 petals. So we had the nice purple the first year, got a deeper purple the, the next year. And then we came out the following year with what we named Bimini Twist. 
I've never really counted the total number of petals on this flower, but it's got to be a lot. I would say, you know, close to 80 or 90 petals. The flower kind of makes a puffball look in the center just because it's so full of petals in the center, and it's a bluish-purple color. Uh, the pads are also very striking, uh, green with some purple modeling through them, so it created a nice all-around plant. Then after that, we came out with Scarlet Flame. Scarlet Flame is a deep, deep red plant with a ton of petals in the center, and we thought, you know, it kind of looked flame red with all those petals, so the pads are solid green, and with a bright red flower sticking above it, it makes quite a show in, in any pond. And then this year, we were very fortunate also in coming up with Tropic Punch, which uh, won the best new water lily overall. And there is a second contest this year by a different organization, the World Water Lily and Lotus Association. And we were able to win that contest, the best new water lily overall, with the same plant also. So Tropic Punch has won two different contests and two of the best awards. We're very excited about this new plant that should be released in the next couple of years. But it's a deep pink flower with 90 petals and uh, just the pad is a green with red streaks through it and it creates quite a show. It's another tropical water lily. All these were tropical water lilies that I named. Yeah, they sound spectacular. And I've, you know, I've obviously looked at pictures of them so I can imagine in a you know, in a really nicely scaped pond, how much color they add. Now, um, can you describe how you create these new varieties? I know um, there's quite a bit of hands-on and uh, a lot of sort of technical things involved. Yeah, what we do is we do the pollination and, and the crossing here ourselves. So we take, for instance, a mother plant. Let's say I have a nice plant that I really like the flower on, but I'm not so happy with how the plant grows. It might not have the best characteristics and growth habit. And so I'll take that plant and I'll cross it with another plant that has a really pretty pad and a really good growth habit and hopes that I get the nice flower onto the beautiful looking plant. And sometimes it takes two or three tries to get that. But but in order to do that, what you need is a first day flower. And that first day flower is able to be pollinating. You can tell it's a first day flower when you look at it because the center areas of the flower is open and you can see the nectar pool in the center. This is where you're going to want to put the pollen and that'll create your cross. So you get the pollen out of a second or third day flower and when you look at the anthers of the second and third day flower you can see that they're covered with pollen. So if you take some of those anthers and place them into the nectar pool of the first day flower you've uh, created a pollinated flower hopefully. doesn't always work because some of them are sterile for some reason or another but a, a lot of times you'll get success. So then the flower is going to go under water after the third day because the, the water lilies bloom for three days and then submerge. So the flower will go underwater and start transforming into a seed pod as the ovaries begin to ripen. And you can notice this because it'll start to swell. And as it starts to swell, it grows larger and larger and, and very noticeable that it's something different is going on. It's becoming a seed pod. And then what you'll want to do is bag that seed pod with a plastic bag so that when it ruptures, you can capture all the seed because if you don't bag it and it ruptures on its own the seed disperses all throughout the water they have a floating membrane around them that allows them in nature to float to the surface and then spread all through the water around them so that they don't crowd each other out that's what the bag is used for so you gather the seed uh, once you gather the seed and a tropical water lily can have upwards of a thousand seeds so you're going to have a lot of seed you're going to want to spread the seed into a, a germination area that you've created. You know, we like to use 
maybe soil that's only two inches deep and uh, water we don't want a very deep water in there so you're only going to want two or three inches of water on top of that soil and it's easier to maintain the seedlings in a small state because they're very delicate when they're seedlings insects can eat them they could dry up they could get covered with algae many different things could happen so the less water you have in there the easier it is to kind of watch and keep the pests and and issues away from them and so as they start to mature and the seedlings start to grow, you're going to start to fertilize them and then start to select plants out of there for different reasons. A good reason to select in the early stage is by how the pads look. You know, are they pretty looking pads? Are they different colors than what you'd normally see? And so you'll start to select. And then as they continue to mature, you're going to start to see the flowers. And then from there, you select more into what flower shapes and colors that you like. And hopefully you end up with a very nice plant. So... It sounds like it would take a really long time. How long does it normally take for the seedling, I guess, to develop where you can see a flower on it? Uh, actually, it happens in the same season. Um, oh, really? Okay. Tropical water lilies are very fast growing, so you're able to get them from a seed to a, at least down here in the Florida climate from a seedling to a mature plant in the same year, which allows you to select out at a very rapid rate. Uh, the hard part after that is getting them to form back into a tuber so that you can reproduce the plant. Now, sometimes it takes a year for a large plant to go back into a tuber state. And then from there, that tuber is only going to produce three, four, five small plants. So, you know, from those five plants, then you have to make more tubers and more plants until you... We like to be able to have 200 to 300 plants to initially release. So it's about a five-year turnaround from when you see that initial flower and decide that that's going to be a plant that you like to being able to get it to market. Okay. I didn't think about the tuber being sort of the, the bottleneck, but that, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, what do you normally look for uh, when you're trying to develop a new variety? Um, you mentioned, you know, kind of a different coloration to the pad that you wouldn't see before. How about in terms of the flower? Uh, flower, what I like to see personally is a higher petal count. Uh, I like lots of petals in my flowers. I want them to have a very nice full shape. I don't want it to be cupped up too tight or laying too flat. I like to have a kind of three-dimensional shape to the flower. Uh, with a lot of petals, a vibrant color. I don't like the faded colors as much. I want a nice, vibrant color to it. It can be a pastel, that's fine, but I want to make sure that it's a solid color throughout the flower. The intensity is there. The plant vigor and the growth of the plant is also a hugely important characteristic because if you end up with a beautiful flower on a plant that doesn't grow very well, then you're going to have an issue. Everybody has to be able to grow it and be successful with it to be a great long-term plant. Good, good point. Very good point. So actually, before I ask this, one of the last couple of questions, when you are talking to a beginner and they want to start a, you know, a koi pond or uh, an outdoor pond, what is the best way to plant these water lilies or what do you suggest for them to do this optimally? Yeah, you want to make sure that you choose a sunny area. I, I find a lot of people kind of choose a shady area, but the more sun, the better growth you're going to get for the plant. You're going to want a, a large pot. The, the larger the pot that you give the plant to grow in, the larger the plant that you're going to be able to grow. So it, conversely, though, if you use a smaller pot because you have a smaller space, it'll help restrict the growth of the plant. So you can kind of make the size of the plant according to the pond by the pot choice. And then you'll want to submerge the pot anywhere from a foot to two feet underwater. And if your pond's deeper than that, then just stick a concrete block underneath the uh, pot to elevate it a little bit. But finding that foot to two foot range, you get the optimal growth out of most water lilies. What kind of soil do you recommend? 
I like a heavy soil so that it, you know it doesn't cloud up your water too bad. We use a sand muck mixture because we have nice Florida muck down here, but we use a sand muck mixture and heavy fertilizer is the key to making most water lilies grow. You need to make sure that you put fertilizer tabs in there on a monthly basis. Okay. So we're kind of getting close to the, our time. What are the aquatic plant industries and your greatest challenges in the near future, do you think? I think the greatest challenges are, are keeping individuals coming into the hobby on a regular basis. I think the you know, the internet and the societies have been great at, at getting new members and getting information out there. The ease, you know, aquariums and especially planted aquariums have seemed to develop and just become phenomenal. If you haven't looked at it, but recently there's a lot of aquascaping contests that are out there now. Uh, the Aquatic Gardeners Association just judged their tanks for the recent year and for everybody listening, if you haven't seen a pretty planted aquarium tank, go on their website and look at look at these tanks. They're just absolutely phenomenal at what you can do with a planted tank nowadays. In my mind, they rival or beat the saltwater tanks with the intensity of colors, the intensity of planted areas, just the shapes and designs that they're coming out with. They create these uh, landscapes that look like natural landscapes but are underwater. I mean, they've made planted trees look like real trees and real forests. It's amazing to see what they've come up with. But the challenges are keeping people enthused and coming into the hobby and coming into the interest. And I, I really think the, the websites, the societies have done a great job of bringing members in and conveying the information and helping disperse the information. And everybody's goal is to help people out. And it really, you can see that when you look around on the Internet. There's forums created to help people with different issues in their aquarium tanks and, and all these societies and websites seem to be very helpful to new people getting into the hobby. So it's a great source of information. So with that said, do you have any other uh, final words of wisdom for our listeners? I don't have a lot of final words of wisdom, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the key is set yourself up for success. So do your research before you hop right into it. It doesn't take a lot. You don't need a CO2 system to be successful. You don't need these fancy lights. You just have to choose the right plants for your setting. Not every plant can be grown in a low to medium light tank. So make sure you find some good advice. Start with some easy varieties. You can make pretty, pretty planted tanks with using the easy varieties that will grow under a low to medium setup without having to go to CO2. And then as you get more advanced, you know, increase the light intensity and then start getting into the CO2. But start, start at a beginner level, be successful. Don't try to put too much into it right away. You can, like I said, there's beautiful tanks with very low needs that it takes to keep them going. I have to mention too, in addition to other websites you mentioned, I think you guys do a pretty nice job of putting some of the needs of specific sorts of plants on your website as well. So in terms of light intensity, that sort of thing. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I want to thank very much our guest, Brandon McLean, and our producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. Brandon, definitely thanks so much for your time. I'm sure I'll have you on again to talk a little bit more about some of your newer plants each time you guys develop them. Please be sure to check out Brandon's webpage link on Aquarium Mania for more information on Florida Aquatic Nurseries and aquarium and pond plants in general. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y 
at PetLifeRadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Aquarium Mania exhibit at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, one of my favorite aquariums. And be sure to check out my new book, An Animal Life, a novel written by me and three close friends and inspired by our time in veterinary school. Check it out at AnAnimalLife.com. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy, and definitely consider adding a planted tank or outdoor pond to your home. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.